0: To the Mission Impossible show. Today we have a success coach that would rather not be called a coach because of the unique things that she does. And in fact, today you'll find out that if you are successful, it might be cool to have a co-pilot. A co-pilot that can help you navigate that success in the heavy weather or on a beautiful blue day sky. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Robin Odegaard, our special guest today. Thank you, Robin.
1: Thank you, Coach. It's great to be here.
0: So, Robin, let's kick it off. Uh, People who are successful, um, they sometimes could use an extra voice, an extra comrade that they could confide in to help them weed through the chaos that they're in. And that leads me to one of your books and your TED Talk, because you are a TEDx speaker, one of my fellow colleagues, and glad, glad to have you in that group, too. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: About the talk. Um, so, and my book. talk. Okay. Yeah. So, the talk was cre- called Creating Success Out of Chaos. And it's six minutes about my story about how I went through some chaos in my own life and kind of how I came out of it. And the takeaway from it, I'll save you the trouble of watching it. Of course, you're welcome. But the takeaway from it is that when you learn there's no water in a well, stop going there looking for a drink. And what that means is that when you learn that people are not going to be helpful, that they're going to tear you down, that they're going to be negative. Stop going there looking for them to be positive and a helpful influence, regardless of whether they're blood related to you or not.
0: Sure. I I can relate to that. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners can too. When it really comes down to your everyday, I won't say nine to five, but you spend most of your time with key clients who are successful uh, on the whole mm-hmm. and they're looking for some guidance and I just mm-hmm. as an aside I just like to put in parentheses here that it's very hard uh when when you do become successful to completely trust anyone else because you find that everyone else has an agenda mm-hmm. and and they could be you know as close as this to you um, and you still might not see it. So, if you, so, so then you begin to guard yourself, guard your relationships, guard your words, guard your feelings, and you find yourself, you have no one to consult when it really comes down to a pivoting moment or when you're in that weird road where destiny needs you to make a decision. Is it going to mm. be right or left? And mm. so I think that that's where your clients um, lean on you. Um, Can you give us a little bit more insight there?
1: Yeah. So the thing that's interesting about the work that I do, a lot of coaches want to work with people who are broken and trying to get fixed. The clients that I work work with are not broken. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, they're very successful, usually men, not always, but usually men. And the way I describe it is they have a Venn diagram of their life. So they're in the middle, and then they have their personal life and their work life and their social life. Maybe they have church, volunteer, whatever, but they have this whole messy Venn diagram, but they're the cog in the middle that runs the whole thing or the rock, if you will. I have one client who says, I'm the rock for the rocks, but they're there in the middle by themselves. And if they fall apart, everything around them falls apart. The people who are in their lives rely on them to be okay so they can be okay. And if they fall apart, everyone falls apart. I parachute into that middle and help fight life's fires from the inside.
0: Very interesting. And I'm going to segue back to just your humble roots, as you call them if uh, in your biography. I look at um, the fact that you, you were the eldest of eight children. Mm-hmm. I can imagine uh, that you have some experiences that will help you in chaos. Am I right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I grew up in a very patriarchal, fundamentally Christian family. My What my father said went. And you know, God bless him. He did the best he could. He really believes that women shouldn't be leaders because we're too emotional. And so he found a man when I was 18 years old, he found a man who was willing to put a roof over my head, put clothes on my back, put food on my table, and married me to him. And so at 18 years old, I graduated from high school, valedictorian, so reasonably intelligent. And three weeks later, I got married and then was moved 3,000 miles away from home to basically figure out how to be the wife to a man who I didn't know hardly at all.
0: It it sounds like he sold off his prize cow.
1: Well, my mother did once describe it as selling their virgin, but... Well, there you go. There it is then.
0: Yeah. In the midst of before that happened, though, as you were growing up, you're uh, how many brothers, how many sisters? And I have
1: five f- brothers and two sisters.
0: OK, so and, and you did say that your father had a particular notion towards um, demeaning the girl, Women, girls yeah. and his family mm-hmm. and promoting the boys. Did you break up fights during the during your tenure as the as the guardian?
1: You know, because I was the oldest, it, I don't remember having to break up fights per se. I definitely remember one time very clearly where I said something and one of the other siblings was like, well, why do you get to decide? And the other one said, because she's the oldest and she was left in charge.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. And because-
1: as as an adult, as my younger siblings kind of came out of the house and-, and Kind of trying to fledge and grow their wings and figure out who they were. I did try very hard to help, the, especially the youngest ones, to try and catch them. So the three youngest siblings, I do consider more like children than I do siblings.
0: Sure, sure. Because you did felt that that personal responsibility, um, just because you were you were on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. You were in it. You you parachuted in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Today um, we've just come out of. One of the most disruptive periods of any businesses and any personal life—the pandemic, mm. which was just uh, incredibly um, upheaving for everyone involved. People lost family members, people lost jobs, companies folded, uh, industries realigned. Um, everything just went haywire. Mm. And in the middle of that chaos, um, and you probably then turned to virtual. Were you were you doing a lot of virtual before?
1: Yeah. So pre-pandemic, I did a lot of corporate training, a lot of public speaking, but a lot of my executive coaching, for lack of a better label to put on it, um, was virtual. And then when the pandemic hit, it went completely virtual. And the benefit that I got from that was pre-pandemic, I used to get um, a lot of, you know, we know you're the best, we'd love to work with you, but we really want someone who could be here in person. And now I I don't get that anymore. So I have clients all over the world who don't even second guess or question the fact that we work virtually. It's not a thing anymore.
0: Right. Yes. I mean, as a speaker, having been, you know, working in a lot of places in Asia and Europe. And you know, part of the package is they need to fly the speaker in, put them in hotels and all that stuff. And that's, you know, virtual, the whole virtual world just took that away. And so mm. companies now have a lot more opportunities to get the kind of training that they would like to have for their teams. Uh, because it's it's more budget friendly. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, tell me this: what's uh, what's the inspiration between between you for your highly successful podcast series you do, Quick Hits? I'm a proud member of the faculty there, but you have gathered some superstars around the country. Some of them are my friends, and some of them are have become new friends mm-hmm. uh, due to the association on Quick Hits. Uh, give us the inspiration behind that, because I'd like to talk about that, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Quick Hits started in February of 2021, basically because I was intellectually lonely. One of the things that I missed with the pandemic was that interaction that you have with people when you're on the ground with them, when you're in, to your point, you're in a hotel and you're having dinner and the, you know everybody's kind of milling around. Those conversations that aren't super important, but matter so much to the human connection, and so the plan originally was going to be me and like three or four of my peers. We were going to do one a week and we were just going to have an interesting conversation once once a week to post it on social media. But within about a month, I couldn't get three people from my you know peer group that I was in to show up to do it. And so I asked them, are you all OK if I kind of take this out and do it with other people? And they said, yeah, do whatever you want. So I started inviting friends and colleagues and clients and former clients. I felt a little bit like a puppy dog. I was like, come play with me, come have a fun conversation with me. And then in the summer, I realized, you know, I'm connected to some really interesting people on LinkedIn. What if I just started inviting people? And so between August 1st and the end of December of 2021, I I sent out 664 invitations to people to say, hey, would you be interested in being on Quick Hits? Now, obviously, most of those people completely ignored me, but some of them were like, "Yeah, what are you doing?" And now I have about three hundred, give or take, people who are on the list who said, "Yeah, I'll do that sometimes." And so, as you know, on Tuesdays I send out a little email that says, "Okay, this is when I'm recording. Are you available?" And people get back to me, and we do five of them a week now.
0: That's that's amazing. I, I don't know anyone that busy uh, doing this, and it's just terrific. Plus. Uh, it's normally very short. You're, what's the average duration that you're targeting for now?
1: So I schedule a half hour in everybody's calendar, but the actual recording is 11 minutes and we edit it down to 10. So I they're, they're posted 10. So the way that I say it is 10 minutes, four people, one topic.
0: Quick hits. Yep. Absolutely fantastic. Ingenious. Um, and you still have the editing and all the other things to do and the volume that you're going through um, I'm assuming you must be putting together what five, 10 shows a, a week.
1: It's five, five shows a week. Yep. That we do. You sometimes it depends on how it works out. I'm sure you've been on calls where you get done with one and you're like, wait, there's a whole nother topic. We have to do another one. And so we end up with another one. We've done that sometimes. So then you might get five or you know six or seven a week. But unfortunately um, about, I guess, three or four months ago now, I did hire someone to start doing the editing for me because doing the editing and getting them posted and all of that the back end work was becoming too much in addition to my client load so i i brought in someone to do the editing for me
0: yeah well we can't you know it's it's like it's like everything else i mean i can't i don't know anything about the plumbing but i know how to turn the water on so right. <laughs> let's get somebody in here who knows what they're doing because you don't want the house flooded if i'm taking care of it right so mm. yeah it's good that you've got that going on and you've got the volume to do it and i have to say some really remarkable guests so uh, the website is called. Is it Quick Hits? So
1: yeah, so it, it's on YouTube. That's the easiest place to find all of them. You can either search my name; it'll come up, or if you search for Quick Hits, they'll, it'll come up as well.
0: Okay, yeah, great. So Quick Hits, I definitely highly recommend it, and you might even see old Coach MJ over there one day too.
1: Um, and then, there's a podcast of it too, where I strip the audio, so they can search it on the on any podcast channel as oh, well. Nice. Okay, all right. Uh,
0: tell me, are you doing any work with? sports stars or athletes or have you
1: oh yeah definitely i work i've worked with some competitive athletes some professional athletes i do at the college level because my first book is called stop the drama the ultimate guide to female teams i do get the opportunity to work with some female sports athletes at the at the college level on a regular basis a lot of it is leadership development communication conflict resolution just that basic how do you be a good teammate and create a a winning team that's what i do with teams for uh, individuals, it's the same as working with an executive. Whether you're using your brawn or your brain, high performance is the same stuff.
0: Yeah, I I think our audience would be interested to know that you were actually a competitive volleyball player.
1: I was. So, I played beach volleyball for many years. Right. I actually to just today because it's cold and rainy here. I pulled out an old sweatshirt and I looked at it and was like, "Oh, look, here's a sweatshirt I won from a tournament. How fun is that?"
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of some countries around the world, they go volleyball. But it's a real deal and uh, very competitive. And you get all of the the elements of what it takes to to create a team and communicate with a team and to nurture a good team spirit and excellence within a team, which Mm -hmm. is very equatable if you're running a company today and have different types of people within the organization, different silos, whether it be sales, marketing, uh, finance, et cetera,
1: Mm-hmm. And then how
0: those teams can enter work and how they can complement each other and how they can pull together. So great background to have that. And of course, let's let's make sure we underline that uh, Dr. Robin uh, left high school. She did tell us her story there, but she didn't worked, and she did not go to school until she was 32 years old. And then when she hit when she started school, she it was like somebody, set a pistol off and she had six years uh, and she completed her baccalaureate degree master's degree and doctorate degree in six and a half years so um, you are really in a hurry to to make things up and catch up and today you don't really frame yourself as a psychologist although um, you you have a doctorate there in performance and high Mm -hmm. performance but at the end of the day uh, it's not about laying on a couch it's about getting people off of the couch and helping them see where they wanna go and helping them navigate there, right?
1: Yeah, and to be a clinical psychologist, you have to basically pick a state and get licensed in that state. And that's not the kind of work that I do. In fact, if someone is diagnosable in need of a clinical psychologist, that's not the work I do. I instead do the high performance stuff. And I have a paradigm that I kind of follow And I'll run through it really quickly and we can talk about it if you want. But the first part of the paradigm is what is your vision? You can use the word dream, you can use the word goal, but where are you trying to get? And sometimes people can't answer that question. They're basically like, I don't know, but I don't like where I am. And so then you have to turn the question around. You have to ask, okay, what about where you are is not working? Because sometimes people are better at talking about what's not working. And from there, you can then determine, okay, what is the dream or goal or vision that we wanna, wanna create? So that's what you have to do first is what are you where are you trying to get? The next part is what is your strategy? That is problem deconstruction. Basically, I'm here. I want to get here. There's a problem between how do I break it down into something that's usable? So that's something I do with clients all the time. Is okay. We know where we want to go. How do we break it down into something we can we can work with and make happen? Once you know that, then you can look at your knowledge and skills. What is it that you need to know or need to be able to do? to get where you wanna go. And that doesn't mean you have to learn it. You may be able to hire it in, but you have to be able to outline what do you need to know or what do you need to be able to do? Those are the three, I call them the easy ones. The fourth one is psychological barriers. And this is where you run into things like your saboteurs, the voice in your head, your imposter syndrome, all of the things that are internal that are gonna keep you from succeeding. And that's where I spend a lot of my time working with clients is at that saboteur and psychological barrier level and the that final really, one
0: most people get there when they get successful don't they don't they have this this self sabotaging program that they're not even aware of that they run through
1: they have the voice in their head that tells them you shouldn't you can't or the other side of it could be I can do anything and they don't plan and they just run off of the end of a cliff because they're not paying attention. So that's another piece of the psychological barriers. Yeah. And then the last piece of the five-step paradigm is people, places, things, or habits that either help or hurt. And this goes back to the point of my TEDx talk about not going to wells that are empty looking for drinks.
0: Right, right, right. So seek seek something that nurtures you, not something that burnt your time and your energy and uh, created all that disappointment in you that you'll grudgingly carry through life. No need to do that.
1: It's amazing how often we do. Even super successful people, we repeat bad habits.
0: Yeah, and and a lot of people I know, uh, even myself personally, as I was going up my my corporate climb and had my own companies and became very successful and hit my number and rang the bell, That was probably the craziest thing I ever explained to anybody, but I don't, I had this, this depression roll over me and I could not define it. I couldn't understand it. I said, what are you talking about? You've got this, you did this, you did this. And I'm looking off the balcony over the Mediterranean. I said, I can have anything, do anything. And then a little voice in my head said, and so what?
1: Yep. Wow. Yep. Because What happens, at least this is my experience, and you can tell me, maybe you have a different experience, but people spend so much time optimizing their life to being successful and hitting the numbers and getting the business right and all of that, that if something does go sideways, they realize they haven't optimized their life to have human support, to have that person who's there, which is why I say that. I'm discreet in that you don't ever have to tell your business partner or anyone else that I exist, but I'm not a secret in that if you have a wife or a partner, they need to know I exist because I don't wanna intrude on a space that they may think is theirs because wives especially, they come along for this ride and then when you need help, if you lean on them, they're like, oh, wait a minute, the driver of the train is not okay and then that can cause a freak out too.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when I was saying this before, I think sometimes when people set goals and then they find themselves disappointed because even though they did hit the goal, it's because they haven't set new goals. They Mm -hmm. haven't they haven't created a new vision because they were so possessed and obsessed to get up that mountain and they finally got up the mountain and they're looking off of it and they're bathing in the glory and the breath is coming to them and they're kind of having that. I did it moment, which is what happened to me uh, once anyway. And that's where, you know, it would be great to have that special navigator in your life as a successful executive that can help you through that and know that that's going to come and anticipate that and make a plan for it. Yeah,
1: And did you experience any imposter syndrome when you got there where you're like, Oh, I did it. And you're like, wait a minute. Why did I do it? Why me? Why am I special?
0: Most assuredly, most assuredly Mm -hmm. to the point where I would have bouts of depression and not know why
1: Mm -hmm. and, and
0: have those, that second guess. And it went against everything I believed, but still at the end of the day, it was in there somewhere. So, Mm -hmm. so yes, Mm -hmm. uh, we, we all have this, this almost inherent, um, syndrome that we can buy into because of that, maybe early days.
1: Yeah, there, you know, there's the idea of the the tall poppy syndrome, where at some point in your life, you're given a, this is as successful as I'm allowed to be. And if you get above that, you're like, oh, this is bad. I shouldn't do this. I don't deserve it. And you're afraid that someone's going to come along and, and cut you off at the level that you're supposed to have. There's a really good book out there called The Big Leap. You've probably read it it's uh, really good about talking about how we create these limits for ourselves. And if we go above it, we sabotage ourselves and go back down where we belong.
0: Yeah. I think anybody was in my world. Um, you know, we were inspired by some of the, you know, some of the early thinkers like uh, Dr. Napoleon Hill and then Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins, and NLP and all that. So it was all about, find facing your limiting beliefs understanding what your limiting beliefs were finding a way over though etc 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 but um in, you can in,
1: understand you, it logically that doesn't keep the emotional demon from raising its head
0: exactly exactly and and uh, many many of us guys uh particularly in my generation weren't really taught didn't have a tool chest um mm-hmm. to deal with those emotional things because we were you know, we were out We were out there slaying dragons. Yep. You know? And so we'd just get our sword and we'd go out there and we'd do and we'd conquer and we'd come back and we had the dragon in our right hand, a sword in our left and say, what's next? But yep. never really thought that feelings would then come and chase you down the road and say, hey, wait a minute, you haven't dealt with
1: this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of my clients are men. I do have the athletic background. I am very high performance myself. I know what it means to chase a goal. But on the other hand, I'm also a woman. So I'm not a threat to their masculinity. I'm not, they're not competing with me for success in any way. I can be that supportive nurturer who goes, what are you doing? Smack.
0: <laughs> and how do you, how do you help companies who have teams. Um, I do, I do team, that that's my whole wheelhouse.
1: Mm. I love
0: being, you know, immersed in a team, understanding what they do, what they want to do, where they want to go, and then helping guide them to making a plan and their be their cheerleader. Um mm-hmm. and the Pied Piper uh to help them <laughs> get there. Um what 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 have what have you found successful that works for you?
1: So for teams, the same paradigm applies. It's just a little bit harder because with teams, if you try to set up a goal or a vision or a plan, if you're not careful, they will end up at the mediocre medium. They'll compromise to the point where, okay, well, we all agree on this, so we'll just do this thing, but then nobody's happy and it's not actually what they want to do. I think that's the biggest challenge that I find when it comes to, to leading teams of high level executives like boards of directors is... They will fight with each other tooth and nail and make no decisions or they'll compromise down to the mediocre middle. And that's where I do a lot of my best work is keeping that from happening.
0: And are you able to create those types of relationships and strengthen those relationships over time with teams uh, in the virtual world?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so if you're working with the board of directors, it's you know obviously ideal to be in the boardroom with them and be on the ground with them. Right. But it's not always viable. Sometimes it's not. And there are boards of directors now who aren't even local to each other. And so you have to do it via Zoom or Teams or whatever platform they use. And it is doable, absolutely. Is it more work? Yes. Is there intention around it? For sure. But it's doable. Yep.
0: Yeah. So... Dr. Robin has a, a personal life. I was reading somewhere that you're, you know, instead of, you know, reading about gardening and uh, how to plant roses, your astrophysics and what, what, where does this all come from?
1: I like things that make my brain go, wait, what now? I don't understand. Hold on, back up. I call it twisting my brain. And so I do, I like to read astrophysics for fun, that and quantum physics, because there are two things that I find that I have to go, hold on, wait, I don't, let me reread that, I don't understand, back up, what now? And even then I'm like, okay, I understand it, sort of. And I like that, I, I like it in that I can study it, I can enjoy it and I'm not tested on it. I don't have to know, I can just be intrigued by how challenging it is.
0: Well, we, we got to see uh, right before the, we had a little weather here, where I am in Florida, we had a, uh, you know, we're we're able to see the SpaceX rockets go up uh, mm-hmm. quite often, and we don't really need to understand how that works, but it does.
1: Yep, but that's why I named my dog Nebula because you know I'm a I noticed, and
0: that was <laughs> I tell you, I, I visited your website and I saw the training, uh, world class training that you do with Nebula. I was <laughs> amazed. I never saw anybody do that that with their own dog. I mean. Unless you're a professional dog shower or some kind of competition that you're in, but you're doing all kinds. And Nebula seems like just having a good old time. Loves those. Oh, she
1: loves it. I did a I did a keynote speech uh, two two weeks ago now, and at the end she came up and did some circus tricks up on the stage, and everybody thought she was awesome. The guy that spoke after me told her he's like Nebula, you got a bomb. I can't follow the dog act. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I can see that, and definitely for sure. If I if it was my dog, I would definitely be showing him off too. Looks like you have a fun time. <laughs> we and do. So, She's
1: a great little dog.
0: And you found? Have you really found? Because it looks like you're you're in a good place now. You've mm. you've been through a couple of mountains. Uh, you've had you've been rained on, lightning has struck. Um, <laughs> you've had your share of adversity. Yes.
1: Uh, definitely, I feel I, I feel like I've been resilient, and I don't want to live a life where I have to continue to be resilient.
0: Yeah, you, the you, best you advice someone enough. ever
1: gave me was, "Robin, you are resilient. Stop making decisions that make you prove it."
0: Yeah, exactly. So you you proved it enough. What would you say to someone right now that's going through, you know, a place where they just never been to before, they never had this situation, um, they're they're second guessing themselves and. And not really feeling like you know they can go forward without surrendering. Have you ever had that feeling or had clients that had that feeling?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's part of human nature. And I think the the easy thing is to say, you know, like the old words of the old country song, when you're going through hell, keep on going, you might get out before the devil knows you're there. But sometimes it means take a pause and just say, okay, this is hard. I'm going to acknowledge that this is hard. And this spot right now, I don't know how to get out of, but I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep trying to figure it out, but give yourself that grace. I think that's the hardest thing to do, especially as a high achiever is being willing to say, yeah, this is awful. And I need to take a break and kind of figure out what that means for me.
0: Dr. Robin, I thank you so much for sharing this. We're going to Wrap it up for today, but I'm going to be put, dropping the links into your episode that people can reach out and get in touch with you uh, for all of the things that you do. You've authored three books. Are you working on any new thing before we go? Any parting projects that you're working on?
1: Right now, I am really happy just working with my one-on-one clients and doing quick hits. I think those are the things right now that are really bringing me joy and fulfillment. That, and, you know, I have an amazing partner and husband and a great dog.
0: Well, the, there's... <laughs> There's a there's a free commercial right there for Nebula again. Nebula gets lots of plugs here. Dr. Robin, thank you so much for being possible on the Real Mission Impossible show. God bless, Thanks,
1: Coach.